Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 330. Thanks to the Respect Sextet, they recorded the theme music for this show, as you probably know by now, unless this is the first episode you've listened to, in which case, welcome. They are online at respectsextet.com. It's a fantastic band made up of uh, really creative and interesting musicians, and you should go to their website, respectsextet.com, and buy their records and go see them live, okay? Thank you. Also, thanks to Dave Rabel. He designed the show's logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. He's very funny. And what else? This show is member supported, so if you like what you hear, please do become a member. You can do it for as little as ten bucks a month and join people in about thirty countries and eh, most of the U.S. states who've become members already. My guest today is Andrew Cyril. He, I mean, he's been everywhere and done everything. It's in a way this interview touches on just the tiniest part of who he is as a musician, uh, but I think it's an important part of who he is as a musician and a man. And it's really focused on his new record with his band Haitian Fascination. Uh, they've got a new record out called Route de Frere. And we'll hear the first track off that record and then my conversation with drummer Andrew Cyril. guest is Andrew Cyril, and uh, he and the band Haitian Fascination have a new record called Route de Frere, and it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Jason. Uh, I think it, maybe it would be easiest uh, for the listeners to kind of put this album in context if you could tell us a little bit about your own Haitian roots, uh, which have kind of played out throughout your music for years and years and years Well, now. <laughs> to some degree, I guess you're right. Even though I never really quite thought about it that way, but I guess it's there, simply because my mother and father came from Haiti. Way back when, my, I think my mother came 
to this country in 1926 at the age of 23, and my father was here in 1919, and I'm not sure how old he was. I never really calculated that because he was born in, the, I think, 1896, if I'm not mistaken. 1894, 1896, I'd have to really check that out. So, you know, that was a century ago practically or more you know so uh, I was born in Brooklyn New York and uh, that's where I grew up and that's where I met um, most of the musicians you know whom I had the opportunity to uh, learn from and listen to you know with um, you know, some of my young peers uh, in drum bugle corps and were you, uh, was the neighborhood that you grew up in, was it a, a pocket of Haitian immigrants? Were you surrounded by that culture at all? And... Well, yeah, of course. Uh, my mother had Haitian friends, etc. She belonged sure. to a club called Haitian, the Haitian Alliance. And, uh, you know, they used to, after they would have their meeting, they'd talk about whatever was going on in Haiti and uh, here in the United States, you know, for themselves. And um, then they might have some kind of a, 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 like some slight party after where there would be some, you know, maybe a couple of drinks. Not really alcohol. I don't remember anybody getting drunk. And I was, I must have been about four or five years old when she would take me to those places. Uh, or that place, actually, in Brooklyn. And um, there would be some dancing sometimes afterward. But there was one guy who um, uh, would be playing uh, the hand drum, Haitian drum. His name was Alphonse Sembert. And I, I will never forget, sometimes he would just be playing the drum and they would be dancing. instruments, you know, the western scale instruments, the horns and the piano and the basses and things like that. Yeah. So it was very interesting and I used to, just used to observe him and like any kid, you know, you run back and forth and you look and watch the people dance and then I was running in between them and doing all that stuff. 
like any five-year-old. Sure. How old were you the first time you went to Haiti? I was seven. And did you go with your parents to visit relatives? I went with my aunt. With your aunt, okay. Yeah, yeah, to, to visit, um, yes, my grandfather and my uncles and my aunts. And was Haiti a place to which you returned periodically over your life? As no, you I didn't go back until I was 35. No kidding. Yeah, with my mom. You know, the only thing is uh, she would keep in touch, you know, with her relatives uh, practically on a maybe bi-weekly, bi-monthly basis. You see, so she'd write letters and, you know, send them some money and, and things like that. Will you talk about what inspired you now at this point in your life to put together uh, this particular album, Route de Fer? Uh Because uh, when I went back again uh, with um, a band, and the band was uh, with uh, Alex Pascal, who's the guitar player, mm -hmm. he actually organized that tour. Uh, with, uh, him, John Purcell was the, uh, tenor saxophone player, and, uh, Lyle Atkinson was the bassist. So, um, again, Route de Frere, it was actually, uh, a street sign that I saw, and it said Route de Frere. So I said, hey, you know, that would be a great name for a song. See, so, and, you know, cause it means the road of brothers. So then, you know, it started percolating in my head. I had, you know, the musicians there, and those were like brothers, et cetera, and then the people, et cetera. And it was just, you know, a great idea. So I decided to write a um, a suite called Route des Frères, you know, with three parts. And it was just a projection. See, like a sound painting in a way. talk about the the three parts and the the particular images that they're painting well the first part uh had to do with being up in the hills the mountains you know with like my uncles and my aunts you know my grandfather and they were like farmers in a sense so that um area of haiti which you know was not how can i put it uh, there were no tall buildings or anything, it was just dirt roads and 
you know, you'd see the cows and the pigs and the goats and the donkeys and the mules and the chameleons and, you know, all of the um, animals that you would see in the wild, so to speak, you know. Uh, and um, there was no, like, running water whereby, you know, you can go and you can flush a toilet or, you know, you can go to a sink and turn on a faucet and have water to drink or water to wash with or to go and take a shower. Everything was done uh, by uh, having these um, uh, buckets of water, calabashes, so to speak, and the people would have to go to the river and get those uh, calabashes filled and then they'd bring them back to the house and then we'd have drinking water and then we'd have water to wash with it, set with water to cook. You know, and then when we would have to use the latrines, etc., we'd go out in the forest, you see, in the ravine, and do what you had to do, and they'd come back. You know, you wanted to get something to eat on a daily basis. There were no grocery stores, so you would go out into uh, where uh, the food was being grown, and I remember going out with my uncles in the morning, and they would pick out of the ground what we were going to eat for that evening, and then they would plant some other stuff, you know, that would grow down the line. And it was very exciting. Uh, you know, there were no cars up there. Uh, you would either ride on horseback, or you would ride on a donkey, or you would ride, you know, on a mule. Usually not a mule. The mule would be taken, like, well, the donkeys too would have the carts, etc., but sometimes you could ride on a donkey. Mules sometimes were, you know, they'd get stubborn and they would just stop, <laughs> they'd freeze. And however it was that they would make the move eventually, you know, still kind of like a mystery to me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just different. Uh, and uh, me coming from a place like New York City, Brooklyn, you see, with all of the buildings, et cetera, that was something that... Um, was you know absolutely in a sense marvelous but then at the same time adventurous and just different see so that projection was um the uh, first part of Coute de Frere Before I'm sorry to interrupt you, but before you go on to the mm-hmm. second part, when uh, just to in- interject a small piece of my own life, um, I first met, really met my father and my grandfather, my biological father and grandfather, when I was in my 30s, mm-hmm. and they, I grew up in New England, and they were in uh, like tobacco farming hill country, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and I remember when I went there thinking, first, this is my family, but they are in a setting I have no no way to grasp onto. I just, I don't understand any of it. I have no, I feel like I have no roots here, and yet I'm looking 
at my own father mm-hmm. and my own grandmother. And I wonder what the experience for you, I mean, as you said, coming from Brooklyn and here you are with your own family, but it's in, I mean, may, you may as well have traveled by starship mm-hmm. to another planet. I mm-hmm. wonder what that experience was like. Well, you. uh, you know, I, I remember when we were, cause you know, the, the plane lands in the city, in the airport. So then I remember meeting my uncle, Jules, who was actually, he was like a, a policeman up in that part of Haiti where my grandfather and my other uncles were. And I remember he put me on his horse. And then I went up, you know, across the river on the horse and because he was, you know, guiding the horse as I was on top of it. And I had never been on a horse before. You see, going, you know, going through this, this countryside, etc. And I remember... As uh, we were approaching where my, uh, well, a few of my uncles were, they were on top of this hill. And as we were climbing up, you know, the mountain, there they were standing there, you know, waiting for us, you know, their hats and stuff like that. My uncles. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I met my grandfather. Actually, my grandfather was about, he must have been about 92 years old when I met him. You know, so um, I met him and... So then, uh, they said, this is, my mother's name was Marancia. So they said, well, this is Marancia's son. And he said, ah, you know, <laughs> shook my hand and said, this is my grandfather. You know what I mean? And, and my aunts were there. So, um, you know, it was really quite, quite exciting. Uh, let me see. There must have been about four of my uncles just waiting for us. Yeah, my aunt. And, uh, waiting for aunt, my aunt and me as we, um, you know, went up to the mountains and I saw them. And it was just, uh, you know, a great experience. Of course, you know, you kind of have the, the shakes a little bit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the same time, you know, uh, all of these people were there in a sense welcoming and protecting me. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Uh, you were about to describe the the second section of Route de Frere, the suite. Yeah, the, the 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 second section had to do with um me being in the city, which was a little different from being up in the uh, hills of Anjoubo, as they called it, or as they call it, it's a region up there, Anjoubo, they call it, and um and the city was Port-au-Prince, and we were staying um with uh some friends, some people that my mother had known, and they uh, allowed us to uh, stay with them. Uh, now, in the city, of course, there was, you know, some running water. I remember if you wanted to go and take a shower, you could go out into this, um, uh, it was like a, sh- it was like a stall. And, um, there was a way that, however it was that they get that water to come down like, it would be in a normal shower that you would see. I don't know. I can't tell you how they did that. But that was something that, you know, I could, I could have. Uh, I remember we would go out uh, on a daily basis. My aunt would take me out and uh, they would have what they called a promenade on a daily basis in the city. And I remember, um, she would, uh, I would dress twice that day. I'd have some clothes in the morning that I would put on, and then when we would go to the promenade, she'd put another pair of short pants on me, you know. So I'd be walking around the town with her, and they would be selling candy and ice cream and soda and all that sort of stuff. So she used to buy me those things. What and, was uh, the function of the promenade? 
you're just walking around the city to you know to be social. They have sure. those kinds of things in Spain. Hmm. You know, like at a, at, in Spain, it's different because they do it like ten o'clock at night. They get out and they just walk around and circle a certain part of the city, and you know they talk to each other. And some people are sitting down, you know, and some restaurants open air restaurants. But this happened in the daytime in Haiti, and that was the promenade. It was just a social, a social function. Mm. The third section was another projection of uh, what it could have been like when my mother and my father came to this country. That's why the music, you know, like in a sense, has kind of got a, a swing feeling to it. So I kind of imagined what they could have heard. And I don't think they heard anything anyway, but... <laughs> oh. They uh, came here, and so I said, well, probably, you know, they had um, the joy of coming to the United States. My mother was one of those people that loved this country, you know. She would say to uh, us, that, uh, that my brother and my sister, that this was a country that was made uh, by hand, by God, you know. So uh, she liked being here, and uh, my father the same way, see. So it was just a projection of uh, them being on a boat and, I guess, looking at the Statue of Liberty when they got here and, you know, be do da do dee da do dee do da whatever, sound painting, you know what sure. I mean? So it wasn't anything, you know, f actual, but it was just something that came out of my head mm. and, you know, kind of how I felt, they felt. Thank you. 
lot of the music on this record sounds to me like it's structurally fairly open, but I don't know if that's accurate or, or if I'm just ignorant enough about the rhythmic structures that underlie it that I can't recognize the structures. But it feels like, uh, in some ways, it, it feels to me like things go on to the next section when it feels like they should, rather mm -hmm. than through some prescribed set of, okay, here are the changes and now we're going to play through these. I don't know if I'm way off or... Well, I wouldn't necessarily say you were way off. Yes, uh, I would have to say all of it was prescribed. Uh, there were written parts even for... Um, uh, Frisner, the Augustin, who, uh, was singing, doing the singing. So in order sometimes for some of the musicians to play the melody and play some chords that would have to go with some of those folk tunes, uh, some of those things were written. See, and, you know, with the folk tunes, you know, it wasn't that hard. Uh, you know, you find a chord or two that, you know, go with whatever he's singing and change. And there might be one or two or three chords or whatever. The other songs, though, uh, the, the second one, De Blase, that was written by uh, Alex Pascal. And that had some, you know, chords in order for the, um, uh, the bass player and, 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 and blow it, the bass player Lyle Atkinson and the, the, um, uh, baritone player, Hammond Blewett, to play through the chords that would be in tune, you know, within a key. So then that was written out. Route de Frere, which was the three part suite that I wrote, all of that was written out. Mm. See. Um, then Hope Springs Eternal, that was written out. See, that's ballad. And that, it was another kind of projection. Thinking about Haiti and you know, even though I had a great time there, still there was a lot of misery, you know, and poverty, et cetera. Even at that time, it wasn't perhaps as stark as it is now since they had the earthquake. But, you know, there were always people, you know, who, you know, would be living from hand to mouth. And then there were others, you know, who um, lived fairly well. They'd have servants, et cetera, and nice houses, and, you know, they'd have cars, and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, me thinking about uh, the history of Haiti, you know, and all of its turbulence, in a sense, uh, with the political situation, of course, yes, the poverty, etc. So I wrote a tune called Hope Springs Eternal. See, and then after that, I think um, there was two songs written by uh, Bluett Sankofa, and the other one was Isora. And uh, then there was another one called Come On Baby, which was like a samba written by Lyle Atkinson. And then the other two sung by Frisner, Marinette and uh, Tikaol. Well, you, uh, you, you did it there in the course of telling about the songs, but can you just uh, tell us the band again? Just mention who's on the record. Okay. Uh, the guitar player was uh, Alex Pascal, and um, the baritone player was Hammett Blewett, and the bass player was Lyle Atkinson. And then... Uh, and uh, Fris 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 Augustine, yeah. Mm -hmm. Augustine, one would say in English. And uh, both uh, Frisner and Alex Pascal are Haitian and involved yes, in the Haitian, Haitian yes. music scene. And how did you first get to know those two? I met... Um, Alex, uh, at a, uh, uh, a memorial 
and tribute that was being given for a Haitian writer whose name was uh, Romain, Jacques Romain, R-O-U-M-A-I-N. And um, I guess he must have lived in the 20s to 30s, etc. So he was somebody who was politically inclined, you know, to try to do certain things for the Haitian people through his writing. And they had a, uh, a memorial for him. So uh, I met Alex, and we played together. And that was the beginning, you know, of our relationship. And he was on your album X, is that? He, yeah, right? he's yeah. Uh, on X-Man. Or X-Man, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. with, 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 uh, yeah, with uh, James Newton mm. and uh, Anthony Cox. See, and that's a, that's a beautiful album, yeah, I, I think. Um, so I met Alex then, and, you know, we've been, you know... Uh, uh, good friends and uh, colleagues uh, ever since. See, he taught me a lot about you know Haitian music. I mean, he's really a scholar. Hmm. You should interview him, as a matter of fact. That's a great idea. Yeah. You know, about Haitian music and its influences on jazz, etc. Like, he says, Kulu Se Mama, which is Coltrane's mm-hmm. album, uh, has a lot of Haitian uh, features about it. You know, musical pieces that he would suggest are uh, intentional, explicit on Coltrane's part, or just, I would, I would think uh, so. Yeah, you know, you should talk to him about it. Yeah, well. he's, he's pretty well versed. How did you meet Fris- Frisner? Now that was interesting. I first saw Frisner with a, 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 a percussion, a Haitian percussion group, with this guy called Celestin. And you know, I'm, I'm pronouncing it the French way, but it's like C E L E S T I N. Celestine, Celestin, Celestine would be like the female. Mm-hmm. Celestin would be the male. But they say Celestin. You see, if we were the female, it would be Celestine. You know, French girl. Sure. I e e o u. Right. With the vowels, <laughs> right? Okay. So, um, actually, this was something 
that was put on by Verna Gillis. I don't know if you know who Verna Gillis is, right? Anthro, uh, music, music, ethnomusicologist. And she did a thing called Night of the Drums, something like that, up at Hunts Point Palace. Uh, it was a, uh, 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 like a theater. No, well, it wasn't really theater, but it was a performance or a, um, uh, a concert hall, auditorium, something mm-hmm. like that. And she had a number of um, groups from different parts of, um, let's say, uh, uh, Caribbean and African music. She had, like, um, I think uh, the Gonzalez brothers were up there representing, you know, like Latin music with drums, etc. Then she had another fellow from uh, the uh, Congo named Tito Sompas, who had uh, uh, some African drummers with him. And then uh, there was the Haitian drummers uh, with Augustin and Celestin. And uh, Frisner was really much younger at the time. He was, you know, I guess a guy in his 20s or something like that. And um, then she had... Uh, uh, the American drummers, you know, I had drummer, I don't remember anybody else being up there playing a trap set, but me, you know, so I was part of that. So it's the first time I saw Prisoner, but then I didn't see him again for a long time, and I was always thinking about him. And then finally, there was a, 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 a person who was working in the office downstairs, her name was Sarah Dupuy. I'll to tell people that's downstairs at the new school, which is the where new we, school. Where I'm we sorry. Are. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Yeah, at the, at the new school, and she was working in the office, and for some reason, she decided that she wanted to do something that represented Haiti. I'm not sure how she got that together, but um, then she found out that I was of Haitian uh, extraction, and uh, she talked to me and asked me that I want to meet prisoner. And I said, wow, I've been looking for this guy, thinking about him for a long time. And she was the link. So then I met him. We rehearsed up here. And then we did a, a show uh, around the corner at uh, 66 West 12th Street. Uh, there's a hall around there. I forget what the name of it is. Uh, Fisner had a group. He had his group, Makandal. And then I had a band also. Uh, again, with Lyle and I think John Purcell, if I'm not mistaken, and Alex. And then Frisner came in and he sat in with us, you see. So uh, when I had the opportunity to um, record for Toom, uh, the guy who produces and owns the record company, his name is Petri Hausila. He's a Finnish uh, producer. And I told him I'd like to do something... Uh, called Haitian Fascination. So he said, okay, well, let's go for it. And uh, that's how that came about. So, yes, that's how I met Frisner, through those, uh, so to speak, changes. And what kinds of uh, percussion is Frisner playing on this record? Uh, He's playing Haitian drum, or at least Haitian rhythms. I don't know if he had an exact Haitian drum. He could have just been using, you know, regular conga drum. Okay. See, but the rhythms, you know, were, were Haitian rhythms. So I know absolutely nothing about Haitian rhythmic structures at all. Can you 
is it possible for you to give me a little crash course, a little 101, so that as we listen to this, we can listen to it more intelligently? Well, you know, you have um, what they call the kita, you know, was What I did was I orchestrated that. See, the drum set is a little different from uh, uh, the other drums because you have, uh, like, we call it independent coordination, whereby the right hand does something different from the left hand and the right foot does something different from the left foot. But then we put all of it together and you get this panoply or you get these polyrhythms. See, so, you know, with that tum tank tank kum kank tank kum kank tank So I would, you know, so the bass drum does one thing and then the sock symbol does another thing on certain beats and then the hands are doing something else. So I would play that. And that's with the bass drum and the sock symbol. And then the hands would be like, and then, of course, Frisner would be filling in. Uh, the other rhythm. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing because <laughs> the history of, of the quote-unquote trap set, or as Max Roach would call it, the multiple percussion, uh, you know, uh, had to do with, let's say, the enculturation of African drumming whereby you would have a choir where you would have one guy playing one instrument, another guy playing another instrument, and playing a different rhythm. So, in some ways, with the multiple or with the trap set, you know, we began practicing these things without, with the four members, the two feet and the two hands. You know, and of course, the computer is the brain. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wish this were a video show because the look you flashed when you said the computer is the brain would have really <laughs> told people a lot more. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you know the history of, of jazz drumming—that's another thing we don't have to because that's uh, 
That's, that's another, another few story. shows. Yeah. That's, <laughs> another, that's another story. But, you know, the, the, the equivalent is when you look at the symphony orchestra and you have one guy playing the cymbals, another guy playing the bass drum, another guy playing the snare drum, and maybe somebody else playing the timpani. So you get your choir there. Sure. But the trap set came about, you know, from actually uh, uh, pit band when they were also sh- well. He had yes, I had to do with the pit band vaudeville and also silent movies. See for space. Sure. So you know, and on stage, and that's another thing. So anyway, um, that's um, what. Um, uh, was offered as far as playing um drums and 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 doing the stuff with Frisner etc and then of course you know the, the the drums in a sense the rhythm is like the foundation for the melodies and the harmonies mm. see so the horn would play the harmony would play the melody and on occasion the guitar would play the harmony like a piano Sure. See, and the bass would also play like, you know, those roots and certain notes within the chord. I know from having played and, and listened to a lot of Latin music that there are often very predetermined bass lines for different rhythmic patterns. Mm-hmm. Is the same true uh, in the music on this record? Yeah, except, you know, like for Route de Frère, for the first part, those were just some things, you know, as far as the bass line is concerned. I, when I wrote that bass line, I was just thinking about when my uncles would, you know, take me, uh, like to a cockfight, you know, or, um, uh, I would be going maybe from one uncle's house or my grandfather's house to an aunt's house who lived, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe, um, in another part of that section of Haiti and the, and, and the hills, you know, Haiti is a very hilly place. The, the name Haiti actually means, you know, mountains. Hmm. It's an Indian name. See, so you go up and down and up and down and up and down. It's almost like if you, if you would see a worm or a snake moving up and down. And I would see these people, if like, for instance, you'd be standing on one, one hill and then you could look down and you could look down and you could see people you know, walking, and sometimes these women would have these big calabashes on their heads with with yarn or food or water, and, you know, the backs would be very straight, and they would be walking up and down. These things wouldn't be moved, wouldn't move. So I'd see those, and, you know, men, women, actually, you know, just walking, and they would be walking at quite some pace. So then I thought about that rhythm, you know, what that could be, you know. And so I wrote the bass line, and then there was another line that I wrote, you know, for the drums, and then another line that I wrote for the guitar, and another line that I wrote for the, uh, you know, for the um, uh, baritone. Mm. See, so yeah, a lot of those rhythms were ostinato. Now, the actual Haitian rhythms, you know, that was my projection. Haitian rhythms was like the, the kita that I told you about. Sure. And then, of course, too, you know, a lot of those rhythms, too, come out of Africa, you know. Six. And then you have another rhythm going on top of that, you know. So it, it sounds like this is, uh, and I guess this is the case for a lot of albums that draw on 
other cultures that it's less about uh, kind of a photographic reproduction of that music than it is about integrating things from Haitian music into your own compositions and of course. into the players. Yeah, what, what I tell people is that it, it, the music is really, uh, how can I put it, some Haitian themes filtered you know, through my American experience mm-hmm. as far as learning music and playing jazz is concerned. That's really all it is. Yeah. Except, you know, when Frisner did his thing uh, and he sang those two, uh, well, uh, uh, let me see, Marinette, which is Marinette, is, uh, you know, about somebody who's climbing a tree and uh, doesn't have any feet or something like that. And he's saying, how does she get up there? Or how does he get up there? I'm not sure whether the marinette is a male or a female. Um, and then Tikawal happens to be something that was written by a Haitian saxophonist composer named Nemour Jean-Baptiste. N-E-M-O-U-R-S, first name. And then Jean-Baptiste is John sure. Baptist, J-E-A-N-B-A. P-T-I-S-T-E. That's yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 10 o'clock at night, it's not easy to get. Yeah. Right, exactly. I'll drink some more coffee here. Yeah, that's right. Timama Kawal, Jankouri Remeo, Sikouri Remeo, C'est pour Kaba Remeo, Kouri si tout bon Remeo, Almande Maman Bolé, Kouri Batadil Bawe, Si Mariel Besoin Marie. Oi! interested when you when you play music live do you um I've, I've heard you live but i've never actually seen you perform which is i find shocking um do you explain to the audience when there are these kind of programmatic elements or sound paintings do you say here's what i was thinking about in that actual situation yeah sometimes sure definitely because uh, that way you can bring the audience uh, more into what it is that you're doing mm. rather than not saying anything to them you know instrumental music is different from music that's sung simply because with instrumental music you can imagine anything you want you can bring up your own words but when you have the words that are being said to you you know like in any song then of course you know you're not given the freedom of thinking what you want to think which is okay but you know the magic about instrumental music is you can think whatever you want to think 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you had a chance to, to play any of this music for Haitian communities, or are you going to get a chance to Not play yet. it in Haiti? <laughs> well, uh, I hope so. This, we didn't, when I went to Haiti to play with Alex, we played some, we played some of his songs, like, um, uh, the one on X-Men, uh, Lydia. You know, he's written quite a few uh, pieces. Uh, De Blose, I don't know whether we played De Blose in, uh, in, in Haiti. Maybe we did. You know, uh, maybe we played a couple of my pieces, like the one on, uh, X-Men. I mean, it's Akan. Mm. You know, so that's more like a Calypso kind of thing. But, you know, all of those musics, to some degree, you know, are related. They, you know, like they could be cousins. You see, coming, you know, from the same tree, mm-hmm. but with different limbs going in different places. The basis of, of most of it, if not all of it, is Africa. You know, with those rhythms. Even the jazz ride beat, you know, is really an African beat. Don't go dang, don't go dang, don't go dang. You see, but they say, bop, don't go dang, don't <laughs> right. go dang. And then you get your jazz beat. Sure. <laughs> you take that bop out, you go to Africa. <laughs> You're back in Africa. If that's not a song title or a book title, I've never heard one. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Are there any other projects that you want to talk about? Well, the the, the next thing. Well, here's another thing that I that. Um, uh, has begun for me. There's a, uh, an organization called the American Jazz Institute in California run by uh, a gentleman named Mark Masters. And he's quite an arranger. And, uh, what he has done is, is, is taken, uh, some of my compositions and rearranged them. See, so in a sense, uh, he was like a, an interior decorator, you know, who, um, came into my house of music and then took the furniture from this room and put it in another room and or either in that same room, you know, just put it in different places. So what he did was he rearranged some of my music for 12 pieces. And, I mean, he's done a beautiful job. And he calls it um, the Andrew Cyril uh, 21st Century Big Band. See, so we're going to do something in California uh, next month. And uh, then something in Washington, D.C. in March. You see, then also in March, I'll do something down at the Vanguard, uh, Village Vanguard here in New York, with um, a fellow named Bill McHenry and uh, a bassist named uh, Eric Rivas and a piano player named Oren Evans. I'll just mention for folks that Oren has been on the show and Bill is about to be, so they can check thejazzsession.com and hear interviews with those folks too. Well, uh, it's, it, the album is fantastic. It's been such a, a pleasure to talk to you and especially I, I thank you for, uh, staying out late here at the New School to, to do this interview. The, uh, the album is, ca- is called Route de Frere. The band is Haitian Fascination and my right. guest is Andrew Surreal. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jason. And I'm glad that, uh, you introduced me to your audience and I hope they like the music. Thank you. 
Music from Andrew Cyril and Haitian Fascination from their new album Route de Frere. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please do, if you would, become a member. It's very, very easy to do, and you can do it for as little as ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com. What else? Nothing else. In the meantime, get out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. <laughs>